I have used a lot of commerce platforms in the past. By far, the most robust is Shopify. No matter how complex your business needs and no matter how large your business grows, Shopify can handle it. And they do handle it for brands like Rothy's, Ruggable, Allbirds, Knox, Magnolia, Brooklinen, Glossier, and Cotton, to name a few. You may already use another e-commerce platform and you may be super unhappy with it, but you've already put a lot of work into it and migrating to Shopify could seem impossible. But I'm here to tell you that it is quite easy. When I migrated to Shopify back in 2022, their apps and tools meant I just had to make a few clicks and everything was ported over as if by magic. Shopify also lets you design your storefront however you like, which from personal experience I know isn't the case for many other commerce platforms out there. All these features and all this control can result in more sales more often. So stop leaving sales on the table, switch your business to Shopify today, and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their businesses. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial at shopify.com forward slash practical, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com forward slash practical, shopify.com forward slash practical. Good morning, Town. Welcome back to Practical Stoicism. I hope you're doing well. Last week, Kai and I had a mailbag episode where Kai quoted Seneca as saying, why would you wish for figs in the winter? And I found that to be such a beautiful phrasing that I had to go out and seek some of the more poetic pieces from Seneca. And then on Saturday, I went to a child's second birthday party. But when I came back, there was a manila envelope on my porch addressed to me and containing a book that I did not order. That book was by Dana Gaioya, and I may be saying that last name wrong, I hope not, but it's all about Seneca's work as a dramatist, as a playwright, and apparently, in the ancient world, as a playwright who was second to few and hugely influential up to the Renaissance, then vanished. In this form, so to speak, Seneca is known as Seneca Tragicus. So I got the book in the house, and I dove in and was absolutely mesmerized by this Seneca I had never met. So I sought to find a letter that was more poetic than ones shared so far, and I think this one is a decent example. I notice his metaphors differently now, having read Gaioia, and I appreciate it differently, this forgotten side of Seneca the Younger. Today's episode is a bit longer, so if you're a commuter who listens on their way to work, I apologize, you might have to split this one up into chunks, but truth be told, most of Seneca's letters are very long, and I'm running out of short ones to share anyway, so we will all need to learn to adjust. Here is letter 49 from Seneca's Moral Letters to Lucilius. A man is indeed lazy and careless, my dear Lucilius, if he is reminded of a friend only by seeing some landscape which stirs the memory. And yet there are times when the old familiar haunts stir up a sense of loss that has been stored away in the soul, not bringing back dead memories, but rousing them from their dormant state, just as the sight of a lost friend's favorite slave or his cloak or his house renews the mourner's grief, even though it has been softened by time. Now, lo and behold, Campania, and especially Naples and your beloved Pompeii, struck me when I viewed them with a wonderfully fresh sense of longing for you. You stand in full view before my eyes. I am on the point of parting from you. 
I see you choking down your tears and resisting without success the emotions that well up at the very moment when you try to check them. I seem to have lost you but a moment ago, for what is not but a moment ago when one begins to use the memory. It was but not a moment ago that I sat as a lad in the school of the philosopher Sotian, but a moment ago that I began to plead to the courts, but a moment ago that I lost the desire to plead, but a moment ago that I lost the ability. Infinitely swift is the flight of time, as those see more clearly who are looking backwards. For when we are intent on the present, we do not notice it. So gentle is the passage of time's headlong flight. Do you ask the reason for this? All past time is in the same place. It all presents the same aspect to us. It lies together. Everything slips into the same abyss. Besides, an event which, in its entirety, is of brief compass, cannot contain long intervals. The time which we spend in living is but a point, nay, even less than a point. But this point of time, infinitesimal as it is, Nature has mocked by making it seem outwardly of longer duration. She has taken one portion thereof and made it infancy, another childhood, another youth, another the gradual slope, so to speak, from youth to old age. And old age itself is still another. How many steps for how short a climb. It was but a moment ago that I saw you off on your journey, and yet this moment ago makes up a goodly share of our existence, which is so brief we should reflect that it will soon come to an end altogether. In other years, time did not seem to me to go so swiftly. Now it seems fast beyond belief, perhaps because I feel that the finish line is moving closer to me, or it may be that I have begun to take heed and reckon up my losses. For this reason, I am all the more angry that some men claim the major portion of this time for superfluous things, time which, no matter how carefully it is guarded, cannot suffice even for necessary things. Cicero declared that if the number of his days were doubled, he should not have time to read the lyric poets, and you may rate the dialecticians in the same class, but they are foolish in a more melancholy way. The lyric poets are avowedly frivolous, but the dialecticians believe that they are themselves engaged upon serious business. I do not deny that one must cast a glance at dialectic, but it ought to be a mere glance, a sort of greeting from the threshold, merely that one may not be deceived or judge these pursuits to contain any hidden matters of great worth. Why do you torment yourself and lose weight over some problem which is more clever to have scorned than to solve? When a soldier is undisturbed and traveling at his ease, he can hunt for trifles along his way. But when the enemy is closing in from behind and a command is given to quicken the pace, necessity makes him throw away everything which he picked up in moments of peace and leisure. I have no time to investigate disputed inflections of words or to try my cunning upon them. Behold the gathering clans, the fast-shut gates, and weapons wedded, ready for war. I need a stout heart to hear without flinching this din of battle which sounds round about. And all would rightly think me mad if, when gray beards and women were heaping up rocks for the fortifications, when the armor-clad youths inside the gates were awaiting, or even demanding, the order for a sally, when the spears of the foremen were quivering in our gates, and the very ground was rocking with mines and subterranean passages, 
I say, they would rightly think me mad if I were to sit idle, putting such pretty posers as this. What you have not lost, you have, but you have not lost any horns, therefore you have horns. Or other tricks constructed after the model of this piece of sheer silliness. And yet I may well seem in your eyes no less mad if I spend my energies on that sort of thing, for even now I am in a state of siege. And yet, in the former case, it would be merely a peril from outside that threatened me, and a wall that surrounded me from the foe. As it is now, death-dealing perils are in my very presence. I have no time for such nonsense. A mighty undertaking is on my hands. What am I to do? Death is on my trail, and life is fleeting away. Teach me something with which to face these troubles. Bring it to pass that I shall cease trying to escape from death, and that life may cease to escape from me. Give me courage to meet hardships. Make me calm in the face of the unavoidable. Relax the straitened limits of time, which is allotted me. Show me that the good in life does not depend upon life's length, but upon the use we make of it. Also, that it is possible, or rather usual, for a man who has lived long to have lived too little. Say to me when I lie down to sleep, you may not wake again, and when I have waked, you may not sleep again. Say to me when I go forth from my house, you may not return, and when I return, you may never go forth again. You are mistaken if you think that only on an ocean voyage there is a very slight space between life and death. No, the distance between is just as narrow everywhere. It is not everywhere that death shows himself so near at hand, yet everywhere he is near at hand. Rid me of these shadowy terrors. Then you will more easily deliver to me the instruction for which I have prepared myself. At our birth, nature made us teachable and gave us reason, not perfect, but capable of being perfected. Discuss for me justice, duty, thrift, and that twofold purity, both the purity which abstains from another's person and that which takes care of one's own self. If you will only refuse to lead me along bypaths, I shall more easily reach the goal at which I am aiming. For, as the tragic poet says, the language of truth is simple. We should not, therefore, make that language intricate, since there is nothing less fitting for a soul of great endeavor than such crafty cleverness. I'll admit to getting a little emotional in that second section. I see you choking down the tears and resisting without success the emotions that well up at the very moment when you try to check them. I seem to have lost you but a moment ago. For what is not but a moment ago when one begins to use the memory? Who has not, after all, had such a memory show up unannounced when they are least expecting it? A memory you've not thought of in decades, but there's a scent in the air, a building that looks like one you remember from your youth, a voice delivered in the correct pitch and tone, and you mistake it for that old thing you thought you had forgotten, perhaps even repressed, and there it is, in your mind's eye, and there you are, again, losing it, forgetting it, perhaps suffering it all over again. Life is, in some ways, a series of terrible tragedies, and our minds, I think, do their best to compartmentalize these tragedies so that they don't ruin us. And thank goodness our minds do that. You may think of the loss of innocence as a child when you discovered Santa Claus wasn't real, for instance, and you might laugh that you ever thought such a thing. 
or when you discovered that everyone dies, and when your first pet did die. You may think of those things as slight, childish things, but they were not at the time. They were world-shaking events for your young mind. And so it is still true now that any big shift or loss is world-shaking to your mind, though less so as we get better at compartmentalizing and distancing ourselves from these tragedies. You have got to, as the Stoics insist that we do, become comfortable with change and death soon, as soon as you can, to see it as a process, for if you don't, you will spend your entire life traumatized, because life does have the potential to be traumatizing. I remember when my first pet died. He had a long life, but his manner of death was abrupt, violent, and happened right in front of me, and was, to some degree, at least I thought at the time, my fault. I was at the bus stop waiting to go to school, which was across the road from the entrance to our neighborhood. I looked up to notice my cat across the street, looking at me, and I knew what was going to happen. I knew it before I knew the threat of it. I stood up to try to stop it, but the moment I stood up, he started walking over to me. In a moment, a lowrider Honda ran him over. Didn't even stop, didn't even slow down. And I remember, to this day, the crunch of his skull on the bumper of that car. I remember the car. We had this cat for over a decade. He'd been part of our family since before I could really remember. He was just always there, or seemed to be. As I walked across the street towards my house to let my family know what had happened, I remember calling him a stupid cat and asking what he did that for. I wasn't crying. I was mad. And I was intentionally, I even knew it as I was doing it, even at that age, distancing myself from the tragedy I had just witnessed. I was using anger and unhealthy detachment to survive this brutal and instantaneous tragedy of death, the first I had ever seen at the age of, I want to say, 12 or so. I think I was in eighth grade. It took me years to see my actions for what they were and to begin to see tragedy as less common than everything that wasn't tragedy and to think if it is the case that tragedy is less common than everything else going on, Why does tragedy have such an impact on us while nothing else comes close in its impact? In most cases, every second of every day is tragedy-free, and we take no notice of that, nor do we leverage it to our benefit. And when a tragedy arrives at our doorstep, we are destroyed by it. Why are we not the opposite of destroyed when we reach for a glass of water in the morning knowing it is clean and safe to drink? Think of the number of tragedies we avoid or are not subjected to at all in a given 24-hour period. And be grateful. Let that truth shape you at least as much as you allow tragedy to do the same. Then, perhaps, we will not live in such a way that we distance ourselves so much from tragedy that we deny entirely its absolutely faded coming, that we spend as much of our lives as possible in fantasy so as to avoid even thinking about tragedy. This is, after all, the root of memento mori and premeditatio malorum, is it not? To remind ourselves to imagine tragic futures, so that we stop wasting time on nonsense and weaken ourselves to those futures whenever they might come? Seneca Tragicus. We're going to be talking more about him in the coming weeks as I try to get Dana Gaioia onto the show, to discuss this aspect of Seneca with him and to learn how to say Dana's last name correctly. But until then, this episode has been long enough for a Tuesday, and I hope that you've enjoyed it. 
As a friendly reminder, our Stoic Meditation Workshop is the Sunday after Easter, and you can learn more about it at actualstoicism.com if you're interested. Thank you to everyone for listening. I appreciate you being here every day, and until next time, take care. Thank you.